Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Ashley here. As most of you know, I do this show on top of other work, and that work has been quite plentiful lately, which is great. But it means I just haven't had the time to put together a new show for this week. I am working on two new shows at the moment. But in the meantime, I'm releasing a show I first put out in the autumn of 2014 about how authentic we can really be at work. And the second guest, Lauren Tucker, I loved talking to her. It was one of the most candid conversations I'd ever had at that point in making the show. Lauren was about to leave her company and start a business of her own back then. I just sat down with her again recently, and in the next few weeks, you're going to hear what happened next. And it wasn't quite what she expected. Here's the original show. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley milne This time on the show, how authentic can you be at work? Many women tell me that they didn't want to sacrifice their strengths, but they did need to sugarcoat it with humor, with charm, with warmth. Otherwise, they become unlikable. And we hear from someone who's frustrated at having to curb her personality in front of colleagues. Those same people will then say, you know, Lauren, you're so smart, but... You know, that's kind of intimidating. So maybe we should get one of your people to talk about this because it'll make people feel more comfortable. Coming up, perception versus reality at the office. Now, depending on how long you've been in the workplace, you may have noticed there are written rules and there are unwritten rules. And one of the unwritten rules is that to become any kind of leader, you have to look and act the part. Some people have a name for that set of qualities executive presence. Executive presence is whether you really signal, whether you telegraph to the world that you have what it takes, that your leadership material. Sylvia Hewlett is the founding president of the Center for Talent Innovation, a think tank in New York. Her latest book is called Executive Presence, which she calls the missing ingredient between merit and success. She says you can be utterly brilliant, But unless you have gravitas, good communication skills and the right look, you'll only go so far. The book comes in part from a personal perspective. Why write it? I mean, what what prompted you to write a book about this in the first place? There were two uh, reasons why I ended up so passionate about this topic of executive presence. First off, you know, the story I tell of my upbringing Uh, I grew up uh, in the coal mining valleys of South Wales, and I ended up at Cambridge at age 18, you know, very good at passing exams and uh, being a good student, but really had no presence whatsoever. Most especially, I spoke English with this thick, working-class Welsh accent, uh, dropping my H's and all the rest of it, and I felt very 
painfully that every time I open my mouth, I let myself down. And I remember my tutor at Cambridge that first week uh, that I was there telling me that I sounded uncouth. It's still a word that sticks. So I spent, you know, literally two years uh, listening to the BBC World Service, uh, trying so hard not just to fix my grammar, which was, you know, really needing attention, but to get those modulated tones, to uh, figure out how to speak English in a way that didn't stick out like a sore thumb. And, you know, it's strange looking back on it. I have mixed feelings because uh, surely I needed to fix my grammar. You know, it's good to speak the language you work in well. But did I have to lose that regional accent? You know, it's not clear. And throughout this book, there is this tension that we all deal with between authenticity and conformity. How much are you willing to change your identity in order to, you know, climb the next rung of the ladder? The truth is, she says, women have to think about this a lot more than men do. White men are still automatically seen as leadership material. They don't need to try as hard. But women and minorities often have to strive to get their bosses to see them the way they'd like to be seen. She says every industry, no matter how informal it might look from the outside, has its own rules about what's needed to progress. We find that every organisation has a playbook. Uh, Academia does. It's funny, I was going to ask you about academia and actually ask you if the advice in your book is as relevant to people who don't work for a corporation. It's tremendously relevant. I mean, think of the uh, components of executive presence. First off, gravitas. How do you define that? Well, you know, this this is the magic. We know now that folks are looking for someone who projects confidence, credibility, decisiveness, but also has a measure of emotional intelligence so that they can read the audience and figure out how to reach them. Now, that's tremendously valuable, whether you're running a not-for-profit or a professor on some campus, right? I mean, those skills are central. And we find that uh, projecting decisiveness um, and showing teeth as one leader called it, is tricky for women. Because if you come off as too strong-minded, too overbearing, too pushy, I'm using words that are deliberately pejorative, right? Because those are the words that are rolled out to describe women who are seen as too strong. So, you know, many women tell me that they didn't want to sacrifice their strengths, but they did need to sugarcoat it with humor, with charm, with warmth. Otherwise, they become unlikable. Ah, likability. That quality on which women are so often judged and on which many of us judge ourselves. It can be tough for anyone to manage other people's perceptions of who you are. But Sylvia says all her research shows it's harder if you're not white. Think of Michelle Obama. I use her as an example. Uh, that speech she made in the first campaign where she told America she was so proud finally to be an American because her husband, this black man, had just won the nomination. She ended up on the front cover of The New Yorker depicted as a terrorist. 
doing the fist bumps with, you know, all kinds of um, Islamic headgear. No wonder this woman retreated to safe roles uh, once she was first lady, you know, digging gardens, getting involved in uh, issues of nutrition and children, great causes. But she is fiercely powerful. She was a very important professional woman, right? She has had to dial back. And so I think many people of color feel that they end up in work environments, whether it's academia, <laughs> whether it's you know not-for-profits uh, or corporate America, where they're in a way needing to smother some of their real strengths in order to fit in. And you know what I say in the book is that you need to know your non-negotiables because you know you cannot have it poison your soul. You know you need to understand there are certain elements in you know your character, your personality that you're not about to take off uh, the table. And therefore, you know some jobs do need to be left. Yeah, because you end the book actually by saying we should do this. We should we you you should be able to be authentic at work, exactly. uh, and yet the book is is sort of full of examples of people who have felt that they had to compromise themselves. Well, you see, it's it's interesting because I say, look, you've got to figure out your non-negotiables, the stuff which you should um, make real and uh, proudly wear on your sleeve, which is you know some essential elements of you, but some of these demands. For instance, uh, I feel that of the three buckets, you know, gravitas, communication, appearance, communication is a huge way of just lifting your skills. Got nothing to do with bias. And it's a fabulous way of building your confidence and all of those things you need for gravitas. So I'll give you an example. The number one pick in terms of what bosses are looking for in the communication section is an ability to be clear, concise, and compelling at meetings. If you listen to the last show, you may remember that even senior women can often fail to come across well in meetings, at least meetings full of men. But Sylvia says communication skills like speaking in public or how you hold yourself, they're easy to improve on. They take practice and getting feedback from others, but they're learnable. Talking of feedback, her research shows that women don't always get the feedback they need because male bosses aren't willing to be candid. Feedback is huge. It does not cross lines of gender or race very readily. So here's the deal. The senior man, and obviously many senior folks are still male and still white, does feel embarrassed uh, a little fearful that he'll get sued, right? Uh, lots of things go through their minds, and it's much easier to just avoid it. So whether it's a presentation that you just goofed up on, uh, a client that you mishandled in uh, a kind of interpersonal way, or just the way you dress, uh, you know, that plunging neckline or that too tight skirt kind of thing, doesn't happen. Uh, that doesn't mean to say uh, there isn't retaliation. You're, you're clearly, you know, knocked off the list for the next opportunity if it goes wrong on those fronts. So what do you do, she says? You ask for it. Ask for feedback. It may be the only way you actually get the advice you need to advance. For instance, 
you're going to be at a meeting with your boss next Wednesday. You are making a, a short presentation. Go up to that boss and say, look, I'm so ready. I'm so excited about this. I've got it down. But there are two areas where I think I might be able to improve this presentation next time around. Can you listen to those two points? Can you tell me uh, how to get it to the next stage? They're delighted. And that is very useful. Because they've been given permission. To give exactly. And they will actually pay attention. You know, you get a lot of good marks there. A, you get some feedback that is truly useful, but they see you as someone who really is ready for uh, the next level of work because you're being so proactive, which is, you know, a fabulous thing for a team member to be doing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Not long after I spoke to Sylvia Hewlett, I talked to Lauren Tucker. Lauren is Managing Director of Martin Decision Sciences. It's a division of an advertising agency based in Richmond, Virginia. When we spoke, she said she'd heard the phrase executive presence, but it wasn't something she'd spent much time thinking about. Yet she's come up against a lot of the dilemmas Sylvia outlines in her book. Lauren's done well in an industry where she looks different from most of her colleagues. As a kid, I think... I, you know, I don't know if my parents were overly protective, but to the extent that I didn't really think about being an African-American in a very largely white male-dominated business. So, you know, and I remember going to the graduate school at the University of Texas, Austin, and I was a bright young student getting recruited by Leo Burnett and thinking I would take over the world and I'd be CEO of my own ad agency within five years of graduation. And then, you know, once I started working in the business, uh, the reality hit that there were all kinds of things that were not going to work out the way I had imagined. For one thing, she'd had no idea until she started working how stubbornly racist attitudes stuck. A few years into her career, in the late 80s, she was working at ad agency Leo Burnett. She and a colleague were testing out a radio ad with a client. They played the ad to him down the phone from their office. It was actually a radio spot that was developed for uh, black radio at the time. And the client, who was white, said, is is that a nigger on that spot? (laughs) And I was just, I was freaking out. And luckily, uh, my um, account management colleague, Kevin Newell, he was very calm. And he just he just said, well, um, the voiceover talent is black. If, if you recall, this is for black radio, and, and it makes sense. And he was very calm. And from that experience, I learned, you know, from him, Don't let a moment derail you. You know, focus on the end game. And generally, that is what she's done over the years. 
She's senior now, and if anything, she says life at work has got more complicated as her status has grown. The whole reason I wanted to interview her in the first place was because of a blog post she wrote this spring called Beyond the Cracked Ceiling into the Hall of Mirrors. She holds a PhD. She's successfully pushed through a lot of new ideas at her workplace. She has plenty of responsibility, but still. It has been a challenge. Um, at the same time that you know people love to, to, oh, we've got Dr. Tucker here, and oh, she's so smart, and so forth. But at the same time, those same people will then say, you know, Lauren, you're so smart, but you know, that's kind of intimidating. So maybe we should get one of your people, people that report to you to, to talk about this because, you know, it'll make people feel more comfortable. Well, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, I it just, I, I don't even know what to say about that. And then what happens is you then say, well, okay, my end game is to get whatever this is sold through. So I'll go along with that because... If it makes it easier, so now you're buying into the whole thing, which just makes you wonder, what am I doing? Referring back to the title of her post, she says that's what she means by the Hall of Mirrors. You just don't even know, how, you know, what path to follow. Should I, you know, should I be more deferential? Well, but isn't that, isn't the fact that I'm outspoken and fo- and focused and determined why it is I've been successful so far, and now you're telling me that I need to back off. And that's, that's the kind of thing. And I, you know, now we're, we're, we're poking our heads above the glass ceiling, but now what are we confronted by? And I just think it is a very uh, strange little world we live in when you get to a certain level. When you get to a senior level, you know, now I've got people telling me, well, wait a minute, you should lean in, speak up. Oh, but don't do, don't be too intimidating. Don't be too assertive. Don't be too aggressive. And you just don't know which way to go and which way to look for your path to success. She says sometimes she really has to drill down and isolate what it is that success means for her. Then you've got to really stay true to that. And sometimes staying true to that makes for some very difficult choices. And that may mean leaving a place that's been kind of comfortable to you. Because you have bought into kind of their idea of who you are. And as long as you do that, you're okay. But that may not satisfy your ambition. That may not satisfy your idea of success. I mean, just going back to that, oh, you're, you're, you're so smart, you're great, oh, but you're a bit intimidating. I mean, what did you say? What, how, what did happen in that circumstance? Well, that was what inspired the, the post because I walked back to my office and I was livid and I couldn't figure out exactly why I was so mad until I realized, wait a minute, I'm mad at myself because I bought into this. But, you know, then I thought, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe I bought into this because I still need to get that person on my side or I still need to. um, and, And I think what really concerned me was at the end of the day, the person I was supposedly intimidating to was a person who certainly outranked me and had every, if you want to talk about the power within the organization, that person had more power to do to impact my career than vice versa. So here I was being kind of cast as this as the one who was intimidating and people applying to me this false power that I have 
I didn't have any power to, to affect this guy's career path, but he certainly had the power to affect mine. And quite frankly, indirectly, he did, because I went back to my office and said, well, okay, I'll go on ahead and get one of my lieutenants to go and have this conversation. That was just absolutely maddening. What was also really annoying, Lauren says, it was a woman who asked Lauren to replace herself with one of her own less intimidating staff. She says that female boss could have reframed the whole idea that women have to tamp themselves down at work, but instead she played right into it. It's hardly the first time Lauren's come across some resistance to her forthright ways. Even her mother has weighed in with advice. You know, she's like, well, maybe you should try, you know, to not do this, to not do that. And I have done that. And it doesn't, it doesn't do any good. I think because people are going to have those frames they use to define who you are. And you can sit there and try to accommodate and, and try to shift to those frames. But I just feel like, hey, I am who I am. And I, I remember saying this to um, my boss a while ago. I said, my personality is what it is. You know, I started two data-driven divisions in the face of people who didn't get what we did. That's the kind of personality it takes to do that is somebody like me. Now you can't sit there and say, well, that's not working for you. And, he, and then he looked at me and goes, you know what, you're right. But she knows that guy. Out in the rest of the professional world, at conferences and events, she's presenting herself from scratch all the time. I think the idea of, of an African-American woman who is talking authoritatively about marketing mixed modeling and the use of technology is absolutely frightening to people. And as I'm starting to, you know, think about my own future and perhaps even thinking about starting my own business, it's a scary thing to sit there and look at some of these recent reports coming out of Silicon Valley. Gosh, these are guys that, you know, one would hope would know better. Lauren's talking about incidents like the recent lawsuit brought by the female co-founder of Tinder, the dating app. She accused one of the male founders of sexual harassment and leaving her name off any publicity of company achievements because she was female. It's just one of a crop of tech company sexism scandals from recent months. Lauren says it's so discouraging to read this stuff because technology is her world and she may be entering it as a female founder sometime soon. I do wonder about how do you navigate this world that is just refusing to see you for what you could be? Yet clearly she's done well in an environment where she's often the odd one out. I wondered how she'd carried herself all these years, how she dealt with some uncomfortable situations like the one she mentioned earlier. At the heart of it, I always have believed you cannot change the way the world responds to you. You can't control the way the world responds to you, but you can control the way you respond to the world. So that's the first thing. I mean, that's at the heart of it. Now, I typically also assume positive intent, or at least I would go so far as to not assume negative intent, even from people that say some of these outrageous things. Because, first of all, if I assume that they have negative intent, it really does more to take away my power than anything else, right? So I typically assume that people don't have negative intent. 
and I usually assume that people have positive intent. I think that keeps that changes the structure of the conversation when you assume that. If you assume negative intent, it's the conversation starts wrong and it it and it ends wrong. So that's another principle that I, I believe in. Something else she tries to do at work nowadays that she didn't twenty years ago is go easy on herself and others. It's interesting when I'm mentoring young women today. Some tend to be fairly tightly wound, and I I get it because I think they're all trying to be you know some some image of perfection. I remember when I was younger, I used to say, you know, I'm going to die the world's most perfect person. <laughs> the only truth in that statement is, eventually, yes, I will die. <laughs> Um, I think that we have to sometimes take a look at our expectations of ourselves and be very careful not to hold ourselves to something that is just impossible. I think women do that. We do that a lot. And we have to kind of give ourselves a break here because otherwise we we tend to act in response to those kinds of cues rather than the realities that we have around us. Lauren says it also helps to be a ruthless optimist. That's the broad experience for this time. I'll be posting links and photos related to this show under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. You can support what I'm doing by kicking in a few bucks via the support tab on the website. Thank you so much to those of you who've done this, including my sustaining monthly members. I really appreciate it. I'm Ashley Nontite. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.